Well, I want to begin today by answering the most basic question, but a question that is, is in need of an answer uh, because I think that, that the church is in danger of losing its identity. And that question is just simply this, what is the church? And I think that this is a good place for us to start. And as we begin here, I think it's good for us to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 15, uh, to get a, a basic answer to that question. Paul is writing to a young pastor, Timothy, uh, giving him instruction on how to care for a community of faith. And he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Right there, there, there is a, a key definition of what the church is. The church is the household of God. It's the family of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So it's a community of men and women, boys and girls, who have been redeemed by the gospel of truth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who gather around the person of Jesus to worship him, but all at the same time, become then conduits or ambassadors by which the world may know what truth is. For what the church embodies is not a body of information, but the church embodies the very presence of the living Christ. For Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. The word that is most often translated church in the scripture is a word, ecclesia. And ecclesia just simply means congregation or the coming together. I want you to think about that because that we are in danger of losing that today. Uh, attendance in church across the United States is, is on a downward slope. And, and I would argue that people who would declare that they believe in Jesus, uh, that, that attendance uh, in, in faith in church is diminishing while many people will continue to proclaim their faith in Jesus. That is, I love Jesus, but I have an issue with the church. That's a common statement. But the problem with that is that we forget that the church, uh, the metaphors that are used of the church in Scripture uh, is that the church, first and foremost, is the bride of Christ. That the church is who Jesus died for that he might sanctify her and present her as holy and blameless. When we think of the church as the bride of Christ, it immediately strikes me that we can speak so poorly of the church. And believe me, I understand because the church is filled with broken men and women. And often many things are done in the name of Jesus that can make one cringe. I know what it's like to work at a church where the lead pastor had a moral failing and watched 5,000 member church blow up. I understand that there are many things done in the name of Jesus under the guise of the church that, that has very little to do with Jesus, with the gospel, or with the power, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But that does not change the fact that we are called into a saving relationship with Jesus, which means by definition, you aren't born again into a vacuum, but you are born again into a family. The creed does a great job of declaring this that this isn't an optional component of Christian faith. That the church is this. It is a community who belongs to and are gathered around Jesus Christ 
through the Spirit who calls us and equips us to participate in Christ's word and work. As I prayed, John Wesley used to tell his followers that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion, that isolation is the enemy of Christianity. If we would remember that sin by its definition is isolation, it's separation from from God, from relationship with God, it's separation from relationship with others, it even creates separation from relationship with ourselves. But the gospel is about a restoration of relationship in those three directions. And we can't say that I love Jesus and reject relationship with others because the way that we grow in our relationship with Christ is in the context of community. The church is not an optional aspect of Christian living. And I I actually have talked with couples that I I love that used to be a part of Door of Hope that have stopped going to church and they they felt that they needed a time where they could just love Jesus and just be together. But what I have found pragmatically through that sort of endeavor is it inevitably leads to a diminishment in an understanding of orthodoxy. It leads to often to, to wrong ideas about who God is around his character. It leads to a self-centered sort of Christianity that's built upon individualism and easy beliefism. It leads to a lack of sanctification and an easy sort of living that, that turns Christianity into some sort of into some sort of, I'm here to receive God's gifts, but I'm not called nor responsible to give those gifts to anyone else. I think that we can look even at our own lives, and believe me, I understand. I am a person who by nature is extremely free-spirited. I do not like to be told what to do. I started a church so I wouldn't have to work for anyone Uh, And uh, (laughs) God has the ability to redeem the worst reasons for things. And and, and I often joke, I'm like, if I don't start a church, I might not go to one. And I understand that push and pull reality of, of what we're experiencing in our current culture. But I, like all of you, are products of a society that is put in supreme precedence upon our autonomy as individuals. But the scripture knows nothing of that. In fact, it calls us to to fight against that very reality, that to be born again, to be reconciled uh, by the Spirit of Christ through the gospel, through through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the sending of his Spirit, he has called us to be a different kind of people living in a particular kind of community for the sake of the world. What we are called to is incarnational ministry. We are the household of God which means that we are to reflect what it means to be a part of his family. John Stott refers to it as, as a, the double identity of the church. That the church is a people who have been both called out of the world to worship God, but at the same time sent back into the world to witness and to serve. And we need one another to do that. Have you seen anyone be solid witnesses of Christ in utter isolation from the community of faith. And I I would say that you're hard-pressed to find that. William Temple said the church is the only cooperative society in the world which exists for the benefit of its non-members. And I think that's a beautiful uh, definition of what the church is, that we are a community who have been given a message, and the message is the gospel of Jesus. So if that's what the church is, what does the creed declare about the church? 
The creed says that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And so I wanted to define what the church is, which is a community uh, of men and women, boys and girls who are around King Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit to engage in his kingdom purposes. And if that's what the church is, what does the creed declare about the church that may even push the boundaries even further than what we're actually comfortable with? It says that the church is both, that the church is both holy and that the church is Catholic. And so I want us to consider first what it means when we say that the church is holy. And let's look at the church holy. This is, this is an important, important aspect. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's this powerful passage. Um, Paul utilizes the relationship between a husband and a wife to illustrate the mystery that he's really pushing at, which is the mystery between the relationship of, between Christ and his bride, which is the church. And it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, so that he, that's Jesus, might present the church to himself, that we have been purchased at a price, that we have been brought in uh, to a saving relationship with Jesus, and that he is desiring to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So let's ask what it means to be a holy church. Because when we look at the church today, when we look at church history, uh, tagging the word holy to it, it can be a hard pill to swallow. But the one true church throughout all the ages that, that has gone before us and will come after us is by definition a holy church. For what makes the church the church, the true church? All we have to do is put this statement in the creed into its proper context. We are in the third article in the creed. The creed is a Trinitarian uh, creed. What is the primary work of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the one who creates the church. And so I would just simply say this, that what makes the church holy is the Holy Spirit. This is really important because it will also help us understand why often the church does not reflect the very holiness of the Holy Spirit. Because the gospel is a gospel of freedom. And when we have freedom, we have responsibility. This is why we have to constantly deal with that tension between God's work and our part. That God does the saving, we seem to do the sinning. But we forget that as he gives us his Holy Spirit, we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The church is holy because of the Holy Spirit. And think about what a community would look like if it was truly yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. Are we giving the Holy Spirit a place at the table, Door of Hope? That's the question that I would ask you. Because when the Holy Spirit has the ability to guide and lead the church, what happens? The Spirit is the one, we are told in Scripture, that creates unity. The Spirit is the one who brings reconciliation. The Spirit is the one who makes fellowship. The Spirit is even the one that enables worship. The Spirit is the one who teaches and empowers us. What we need to understand when we're starting to deal with the difficulties of of the fact that the church often doesn't seem very holy, I would argue is because the visibility of its holiness is dependent upon its submission to the Spirit's sanctifying work. There's so much in the church today that must grieve the Spirit as there has always been. I was struck by this this week uh, as I was looking around at, at, at just the, the, the merging of, and the use of social media. I, I like it. Um, one of 
Pip, who's over communications here at Door of Hope, uh, made the comment. He said, the purpose of social media, um, if it's to truly serve the church, should just simply be a means of communicating the life of the community, not creating a false sense of community. I think that's a really wise word. Uh, but I think even deeper than that, I look at the ways that, that the church now is, is built often on this, this easy beliefism, individualism, and celebrity culture. Uh, that is deeply disturbing. I was looking, I won't name his name because it, it, it's so shameful, but he's a super huge pastor, young pastor, extremely handsome pastor, if that gives you any clues. Uh, and he posted on his Instagram, which he has 100,000 plus followers, posted on Instagram on his 40th birthday a, shirt, a picture of him topless. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, he is an impressive physique. I mean, just a beautifully waxed pecs. And, and then I was like, what, what, why does this violate everything in my mind about what it means to be, I'm like, Wow, okay, is that, what does that mean? If you really follow Jesus, he'll make you look like this? What does this mean? What are you trying to communicate? Sexy worship? Uh, I, I was, and, and I was thinking to myself, and literally, I, I just began to become upset because it's such a violation of the humility that should mark leadership in the church today. That the early church fathers, I think it's fascinating, A, that there's not even a description of Jesus in the, in the scriptures, and yet so much today is driven totally by image, driven totally by the ability to be a charismatic communicator, but often lacking in the content of the gospel. Honestly, the only person that should be shirtless in the church is Jesus on the cross, brutalized, beaten beyond recognition. I think that, that it shows the challenges that we are confronted with, the lack of holiness in the church. And this is, this is a man that I would argue loves Jesus, but he has fallen into the trappings of what the culture is saying we ought to be doing rather than looking at the culture through the lens of Christ and through the power of empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because if we're truly spirit-filled, we will be pointing the world to Jesus, not ourselves. And so I don't care how charismatic the preacher is. If I walk away with more of the preacher than I do... Jesus, there's something problematic. You should hold me accountable to that same standard, always. All of us who are in leadership at Door of Hope. But I would argue that's the call for a, of all of us as a community of faith, where the gospel is most perfectly proclaimed when the community together is allowing the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to minister through us. What makes the church holy is the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul cares so deeply about that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, when he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected in the flesh? And that's what we often find. I find it in my own life, how quickly I will begin to lean upon my, and, and lean into my own, my own abilities, my own intellect, my own, my own charisma, my own, my own uh, cleverness. But none of that will take us very far. And ultimately, it will leave us empty. But when we recognize that what makes me holy is the perfect work of Jesus, which is now given to me as a gift by his Holy Spirit, I am holy because of the blood of Christ. I am holy because his spirit comes to dwell within me. But that holiness is not seen if I continue to function in the flesh. And that is the truth for all of us. My deepest desire for Door of Hope as we come upon our, in May, we will be 10 years old. 
And, and, and I've often said that, that the early days of Door of Hope, it was easy to, to draw people into a saving knowledge of Jesus to begin the journey. But I think that we have done, and, and I would say I have played a part in this, is that we haven't done a good job of connecting salvation with sanctification, that the primary goal of the gospel is transformation into Christ's likeness. That sanctification isn't like, a, like an optional piece. That yes, we have been saved, but we forget that we are being saved and we shall be saved. And that salvation is often presented to us as a goal at the end of the life. And this is why I believe that we have to live together and recognize that Yes, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us holy, but let us ask the question, what is the litmus test? How do we know if we are being holy? What does holy mean? In the scripture, really, it has both a negative and a, and a positive definition. The negative side of it is to be set apart, uh, to be set apart from sin, to be set apart from the world. But to be set apart, that, that is one piece. That's what we see here so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And that is the, that's the goal of the gospel as it works out its transformative work in our lives, as Jesus, by his spirit, shapes us more and more into his likeness as we yield to him. That is, that's what should be happening, is that we are set apart. There is something actually different about us. We shouldn't look so much like the world that the world doesn't find anything in here that, that actually is appealing to them. We should be presenting them with a different option, a different way of looking at the world and life around us. We are to be set apart from sin. But we forget that to be holy also means to be committed to God's purposes and to God's plans. We can say that God is holy doesn't mean that he's set apart from sin, not in the, not in the way that you would think about that, because often it was, it was taught that, that sin separates us from God in a way that God can't come close to us because he's without sin. But that's not what we see in Scripture. The holy God is constantly getting in the front of sin, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's not God who's hiding from Adam and Eve in the garden. It's them who is hiding from him. It's him who is pursuing them in their brokenness. But let us be reminded, because this is the role of the church, is our transformation, our sanctification, the evidence of our salvation is the, is the transformation into Christ's likeness, that yes, God will meet us in our sin. And I just want to remind you that I don't care how deep of a hole you have dug yourself, God's love goes deeper still. That is truth, that's the gospel, but that's not the whole gospel. For God's love may meet sinners in their sin, but he is definitely not content to leave us there. His love is a purifying love. And the purification that comes into the believer's life is most effectively and fully accomplished through the context of community. He has called us to live life together that we might hold each other accountable, encourage one another toward growth. The way that we grow into likeness of Jesus when we live intentionally around the person of Jesus together. It's important. I don't know who I got this from. I found it without, uh, with, I know I didn't write it. It's too good. Uh, so I won't take credit for it, but I'm sorry if you want to know who wrote it. I don't know. It's, it, was, it was basically a series of statements about what kind of church we want to be. And I, I, I think I just, I might have copied it from like a Keller thing or something, but it, it just says, we will be a holy community. Though we are to accept people as they are, we are not content with leaving them where they are. 
The gospel tells us that having been adopted into God's family, we are destined to become like Jesus. We are to urge one another to develop the family likeness. If we're just a church that comes and says, I'm saved by grace, but I'm going to live how I want, how will there be anything in us that actually is appealing to the world that is so lost and so desperately wanting transformation? Isn't change what the world is looking for? And we are saying that it is the gospel and the gospel alone, the saving work of Jesus that changes us. Our yieldedness to the Holy Spirit is what the church needs to be to fulfill its statement. I believe in the holy Catholic church. If we are to believe that we are holy, the true church is holy, we have to ask ourselves, is that a reality right now in Door of Hope? Are we yielded to the Holy Spirit in a way that he is making Jesus known through our community? This is what the church is. This is what it means to be a holy church. Finally, I like that he uses, that the, the, the church fathers use the word Catholic. And the word simply means universal. It means that there is only one church because there is only one Lord, if I could borrow from Ben Myers. Uh, and, and here, I like this verse in Galatians 3.28. Uh, the church is the universal church, the true church. Uh, this, is, this is what it means for us. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I was reading uh, Dogmatics and Outline again, which is one of my favorite books. I, I think I read it like once a year um, by Karl Barth. It's a slim little book, but it's dense uh, around the Apostles' Creed. And he said this about the church Catholic. And he says, the church Catholic means that throughout the whole of history, the church remains identical with itself. It cannot alter in its nature. There are, of course, different forms in the main churches. There are also weaknesses, perversions, and errors in all churches. The church is the same throughout history. It was the true church has always been a place where people are found in Christ, redeemed by his saving work, empowered and born again, regenerated by his Holy Spirit, called out to witness to the world. This is the same mission that was given when Jesus ascended uh, and, and Pentecost came and the church was birthed. And it's the same today, and it will continue to be the same afterwards. The church, the true church, the universal church, the Catholic church, transcends space and time. But secondly, it is the Catholic church because it is an invitation to all. It is universal because it is an, an invitation to all. Thomas Aquinas explained that the message of Jesus is universal because no one is rejected, neither Lord nor servant nor male nor female. It eradicates all boundaries. The gospel is presented and given to all the same. Now, here, it, it, it's, it's, it's funny when we, we say that because I know that there are people here that come from a particular grid that says that, that the gospel is for some, for the elect. And for those of you, brothers and sisters, that hold to that view, that's fine that you hold that view, uh, but you still have to admit that you don't know who the elect are, so it's still for all which essentially means you're wrong. So, because for all. <laughs> if I could just put my own bias out there. Uh, so I, I think, that, but this is a beautiful thing because when we look at the, at, at the Catholic church being the universal, it is universal because it's an invitation to all. We can also say that it's universal because it's a singular message. There is nobody in the world for whom the message of Jesus could be irrelevant. 
That's why I say it's possible to die unsaved, but it is impossible to die unloved. And what we are called to proclaim is that universal message. The Catholic Church, the true church, continually proclaims the living person of Jesus Christ. This is why Door of Hope has always tried to be about the essentials of the Christian faith and why I think we're blessed with a church where I have not put, nor the elders have put any sort of major pressure upon non-essentials. And because of that, we have a, a staff Uh, We have an elder board and we have a community that reflects all sorts of of different backgrounds. Uh, We have people that come from really reformed backgrounds. We have people that come from really charismatic backgrounds. So people, I was just, when I was in New York, someone asked me like, so what, you know, what kind of church is is Door of Hope reformed? I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, are you charismatic? I'm like, self-consciously charismatic? <laughs> but I'm like, that's just Portland. Uh, we're all of those things. What we are, I'm like, I don't know. We just love Jesus. We just love the gospel. One of the things I love about the creed is not about it's it's trying to draw the it's trying to draw the biggest umbrella possible. Like this is what orthodoxy is. But often we churches fall into the trappings, they lose sight of the the, the, the universal component or the Catholic component, which is that they, they are more focused upon what makes them different from other churches. But we shouldn't be trying to create division within orthodoxy. We shouldn't be trying to create division within Christendom. In fact, I, I like what Ben Meyer said. He says, that is why every division between believers is a denial of the gospel. I do believe that there is a place for ecumenical faith. One of the places that I love that being exercised is when we do morning prayer and we invite other churches in. And, and I saw this firsthand when we were doing the morning, when we did the 30 days of prayer, we had multiple churches there. And there was a guy that was super Pentecostal on one side and a guy that was super reformed on the other side of me. And they were like having theological prayer wars. And I thought it was epic. Uh, and so, and, and they were both right, kind of. And, and so, I, but that's the beauty is that what we are coming together around is they're both right on the gospel both right on the, on the nuances around that they are there because Jesus saved them from death and has brought them in the newness of life. And I, I think that this is the beauty of what it means to be Catholic in the true sense of the word, not in the Roman Catholic sense of the word, but in, in that universal sense. It is Catholic because it's an invitation to all. It's Catholic because it carries a singular message. It is Catholic because it remains true to itself throughout all time in all ages, in all places. The one true church, that is what we are saying we believe in. But here's the thing, a lot of people take that too far and they'll say, well, I don't go to church because I'm a part of the big C church. You can't be a part of the, of the whole family of God if you reject the local family. I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's, putting, that's putting the cart before the horse, arguably. And I think that what we need to understand what it means to be a part of the big C church, we need to be connected to the local church. And just remember that all the letters in the New Testament were written to local churches, real, actual churches at a real place in time in real places. <laughs> and, and so this is an important aspect of what it means for us uh, to be the church. We are the holy Catholic church. We are holy, and as much as we allow the Holy Spirit, the freedom to reign and rule through our community, pointing us again and again to King Jesus. We are Catholic uh, in the sense that we are participating 
in the one true church that has gone before us and will continue after us. We are Catholic in the sense that we believe that the gospel is a message that is, that is given to all. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. We are Catholic in the sense that we, carry, we continue to carry the singular message that the church has always carried and will always carry, which is faith in Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone. So where does this leave us? I just once again would call all of us to ask, to ask this question, these two questions. When we come back to the idea of the church is, is driven by, by incarnational ministry, which we have a dualistic identity. How are you in fulfilling that, those two identities? The one identity is that you have been set apart, you've been taken out of the world and brought into relationship with Christ in the context of community that we together might worship the one true God. And are you taking the gathering of the saints seriously? I want to. Some people will say, "Like, what can I do to serve the church?" One of the best ways you can serve is just by showing up consistently. Really, showing up. I think that's a great way to serve the church. Being here, being a part of what God is up to, being connected to the community, being engaged in community groups, serving in subcapacity. Are you are you called into this community, into this life? Or are you living in isolation? I just ask you that that question. You have not been born again into a vacuum. You've been born again into a family of God. Is this is your family? Are you committed to it? That's the first question. But then the second question is, is, if you are committed to the family, how is it shaping you in regards to your interaction with the world? Because yes, we are called together to grow together in the likeness of Jesus, but that we might be prepared to actually live out the reality of Jesus in the world. And I believe that if we get more committed to one another, for if you would be reminded that every revival in church history, one of the true marks of, of church revival is that God's people can't get enough of each other. That's why I would argue that revival is not happening yet. But if we would be truly committed to one another in a way that we are allowing the gospel to shape us through our interaction with one another around Christ, it will lead inevitably, I would argue, to even greater evangelism, where the church would begin to grow not through transfer growth, but through a desire to bring the gospel to our family and to our friends and to our coworkers. Because when, we, when we're strengthened in the gospel by the power of the Spirit in the context of community, it leads us to witness. For we are called out of the world to worship together, that we might be sent back into the world to witness. And I would just ask you, how are you doing in, that, in those two realities? How are we doing as a church? Have we become comfortable? Because the church is not a place to be cloistered from the world. It's a place to be prepared that we might be sent into the world. We need one another to do that. We can't do that task without one another. And we actually will fulfill it the best when we live united in the love of Christ together by the power of his Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a church. We are the Holy Catholic Church. Let us live that out fully by the power of the Spirit of Jesus. Amen?